0: Hello and welcome to The Agenda on Monday the 23rd of January 2023. I'm Chris Gallagher coming from a quite rainy canvas slang and today I'm joined as always by Alan Edgar. Hello Alan, how are you friend? I'm good
1: mate, thanks very much for having me,
0: I'm looking forward to it. Lovely stuff. Uh, we're also joined this week all the way from Berlin uh, by Callum Gordon. Hello Callum, how are you? I'm good mate, thank you very much for having me, how are you doing? Not too bad. Um plenty to talk about there's lots uh lots of news we've asked for questions we've got again as always some really really good questions <coughs> excuse me some um some interesting questions as well um, but we'll we'll work our way through them um Celtic obviously winning 5-0 uh at home against Morton we'll certainly touch on that game um and uh the women's team winning 8-0 uh which will be covered in the Celtic women's football show which you can get this week on Wednesday um before we even get to the opening question, though, uh, Alan, how's things? How was your weekend? What have you been up to this week? Well, good, mate.
1: Um was at Celtic Park on Saturday and was quite surprised, actually, with the old uh, turnout. Uh, people obviously keen to see Andrew's Celtic, which uh, was disappointing. Um, I was hoping for well, much less. Um no, it was good. I enjoyed the game. Nice early kickoff. I'm glad I actually checked on Friday what time the game was because I was convinced it was at three o'clock, so <laughs> oh, um, I might have got the attendance I wanted if I dropped up at three. Um, so no, that was good, all good. And then just um, caught up some mates on Saturday night, had some food and, and whatnot, so no, it, was, it was magic, all good.
0: How are you, Callum? Uh, what have you been up to recently, sir? Um... I've been busy, really busy with work, but I had quite a nice, quiet weekend.
2: Uh, went to the pub to watch the football, which was good. Then um, went for dinner and went to gig it at night. Um, my girlfriend had bought me tickets for it ages ago, so I've had that to look forward to for a wee while. And then, like I was saying to you yesterday, caught up with a mate from back home who comes over constantly for Union Berlin games, so the timing of that couldn't have been any better, but it was nice to see him.
0: Uh, what was the gig, curiosity?
2: Uh, Real Lies, they're like a London duo, kind of synthy New order kind of, I'm the worst person for describing music, but in that sort of vein, um, but it was good, Eddie Walsh was a big fan too.
0: Cool, uh, yeah, make check them out, good stuff. Um, I had a good weekend as well, we went out for dinner, went to Celtic Connections, drank a lot of red wine and uh, watched the Celtic win, so all great. Um, let's go to the opening question um this is from liam uh, liam whatsapp this in so uh, as we've mentioned there's an email that goes out every monday um you can whatsapp you can email and get your questions over to us so liam's question uh, is um let me see even well this was for the agenda it starts with evening cynics because he sent it yesterday um there was some good, really good discussion across a couple of pods last week on the strengths and weaknesses of some of our players. Uh, Bernabei and Kobayashi, two examples. Do we need to accept that we will never be able to attract fully rounded players and there will always be certain limitations, particularly at European level? And if we agree with that, how do we optimize our transfer scouting strategy? It's an interesting question. Um, just your, your kind of general thoughts on it. Uh, we'll start yourself, Callum.
2: Um, I, in general, I mean, due to the league that we play in. Um, although, to be fair, Rangers have managed to attract a fully-rounded player and play him up top every week, so <laughs> it, it can be done. Um, but in general, with the league that we're in, um, the sort of budgets that we have, you're very rarely going to get an elite player, or if you do, you're not going to hold on to him for that long. Yeah, I think even when we've seen, you know, we'd all agree that Virgil van Dijk is as close to elite level um, as we've seen at Celtic Park in recent years. Even him, you know, during his period at Celtic, there were still flaws in his game, and, you know, he'd get caught out, you know, whether it was concentration or so on. So I think we will always struggle to attract that, but I'm sort of pleasantly surprised to sort of see the trajectory that our transfers have taken. Um, and I think. You know, I'm sure we'll come on to discuss Iranich moving, but I think a, a lot of it is about establishing that model that we can then go and show to other young, promising players and say, you know, you come here eighteen months, two years and then you can move to a top five league, you know, in a decent position in the league, you know, not bottom, you know, bottom of the table relegation strugglers. And I think it's very much about building up that model because I don't think we have a problem necessarily identifying talent. You know, I seen yesterday that the Israeli boy we were linked with went and signed for Red Bull Salzburg. And yep. there's a lot of you know. Anytime these names come up, we sort of seem to be in the in the conversation. I think it's then about making Celtic a more attractive destination to this to like these promising young talents. Um, and what we can offer, I guess, is a pathway to England because it makes that a whole lot easier being just across across the border. But I think it's about developing that modelling and becoming, as much as, you know, I don't enjoy it because I quite like getting attached to players to become a really good selling club, Um, which is why this window has been, you know, interesting so far, but I guess we'll need to see if that actually continues because for me that's the way that we slowly chip away, at, you know, the difference between us and you know the, the rung above us in Europe. Um is by being able to attract the best young talent and we need to sort of create a portfolio that we can show to players and it can't just be, you know, a sporadic sale every two seasons or so. And we need to be able to show that there's a there's a lot of pathways that we can sort of generate for these Young players that we can pick up from whether it's Asia or around Europe and so on, but I think that's you know I, I think it looks promising right now, but you know still we need to we'll see how that pans out.
0: Absolutely, uh, great points all round, uh, Alan. What's your kind of thoughts?
1: Yeah, I agree largely. I think we'll either have players before the peak or quite a bit after the peak. I don't think the idea of us having you know someone at the you know, without any flaws or blemishes in the game, you know, even when you look at the Juranovic example, um, you know, he's he's still quite a bit off that the kind of level of a the complete player and we've seen that, but he, you know, he's learning, improving, and he's getting himself a good move off the back yet and I think that point about you know having that portfolio to show to players, I think is quite important because we put a lot of stock in the one sale a year, you know, at twenty, twenty-five million or even going back to Van Dijk when it was, you know, twelve and a half. We put that out there as, look, you can you can go and, you know, you can get a big move. And that was a good starting point. I think our, what we hope we're seeing now, though, is is that you don't necessarily need to be by far and away the best player in the team to get a good move now. I think there's a lot of players that are, have done well here that maybe even aren't guaranteed starters that are optimistic. we will, A, be able to make money on them and, B, they'll be able to get themselves a good move. And it makes it a lot easier and it's far more sustainable, I think if your transfer policy is based on bringing guys in at a relatively um, economic price, but then moving them on for, you know, good resale value. But it doesn't need to be 15, 20 million every single time because that generally is going to be generational talent. So, you know, it's far more sustainable if you can sell two or three each year at, you know, anything between seven, eight, 12 million, as opposed to having to rely on one player going for a big fee and that then, you know, largely generating a lot of your revenue so that you can go back into the market and I think it is much more sustainable this year and to an extent some of the guys we are talking about are players that I think we're all will we're, we'll accept that we can replace and that's positive because when you lose guys like Dembele, Tierney, it's extremely difficult to replace them and to be honest sometimes money isn't doesn't really make a difference when it's players of that calibre whereas I think the position we're in now is a little bit more positive but probably agree with just that last point as well that it's very early um, I wouldn't say the transition to you know being the complete club with the, the proper model is anywhere near done yet. I don't think there's there's not too much that can be quickly undone if um, you know anything is to change. So steps in the right direction certainly.
0: Um, in regards to if you know that that portfolio would Jack Amakis, with his potential sale to Japan and obviously um, our good friend Uran. I don't know why I said good friend there. That was a bit weird. Um, but Josip y- Uranovic. Celtic player, um, with him going to Union Berlin, are those two? Would they be seen as good examples? Um, you know, coming in for eighteen months. Um, obviously, Unanovich's kind of transfer kind of is a lot, a little bit more appealing to people because it's one of the top five leagues. And maybe you'd look at Jacky G- if he does go to uh, Japan again. Nothing's confirmed on that, but that seems to be the kind of strongest rumor. Would you look like, could you could you sell both those moves to potential players coming in, Cal?
2: I think the Uroanovic one definitely. You know, I seen some quotes from yesterday, and it was the first thing he didn't say was, you know, I'm so excited to join Union Berlin. It's such a massive club because, quite frankly, it'd be a lie. But the first first thing he said was, you know, I'm, I've achieved my dream of playing in you know one of the best leagues in the, in the world. So I think you could definitely put that forward to the. <clears throat> The GG one is is weird in terms of the the level of club and the types of league that are in for them. Um, you know, I think when the Japan news first broke, you know, none of us quite believed it. It seemed like a very, you know, random link, uh, but obviously it has a bit of substance to it. Um, I I'd put GG in a slightly different category, um, but you do need to have that turnover of of players who can be your squad players and then try making a bit, make a bit of profit on them. Um, I wouldn't be going to a young player and say, look at, look at what you can achieve at Celtic. In two years, you might be in Japan. Um, but, you know, it's it's about, you know, having those... It's about maintaining that sort of turnover in the squad. Um, I think, and, and moving quickly. And, you know, we've seen in the past, we've been stung a little bit by players who we've kept for a wee bit longer than we maybe should have. Um, and it didn't necessarily pan out, you know, pan out in the best way. Um, but I think the Uranovic one is definitely one you can sort of stick in with the Keen and Tierney odds Edward of you know you can get a move to, to a good league league from Celtic you know probably double your wages and go compete for European football and so on. Um, the GG one I think is a, is a little bit different, um, a bit more of the mill transfer um, and one that does just feel a little bit odd right now.
0: Uh, obviously Callum, you're in Berlin and uh, Union Berlin are your favourite team. You've made that. Quite- quite clear um you absolutely adore them um <laughs> just a bit of fun um what, in terms of the move to a club like union berlin what's what's your thoughts on them as a club
2: uh they're like i don't mean to sound patronizing but they're like a cool wee club um but no more than that you know their ground is the ground is really really nice it's in the middle of this forest but it's no bigger than maybe say pataudry or something uh like that you know great set of fans um I don't think they'd been in the Bundesliga before they came up um, a couple of years back. But they're obviously you know, quite a well-run club, quite a good community spirit about it. Um, I think he's moving for the league more so than than necessarily the club. You know, it's still, you know, he'll probably earn a good bit more money and it's a decent city to live in. But in terms of the the club itself, um, they're definitely on the up. But and they've had a great season so far. You know they were leading the Bundesliga for the first two three months of the season. I think they've maybe dropped down to about four for fifth now. But there's a good chance he'll be playing in Europe next season. You know they've got uh, a Europa League tie against Ajax coming up uh, in a month or so. So it's not you know it's not a bad club to, club to move to. It's definitely one that's on the up. Sort of maybe similar to a Brentford or a, or a Brighton. Um, but you know, I think when you've seen some of the moves first touted for for Juranovic, um, the likes of Atletico Madrid, Chelsea, um, and you'd thought you'd maybe get a rung below that, Union Berlin is is definitely you know a couple of rungs below that. Um, it's undoubtedly a smaller club than Celtic, but it's it's a bigger league, and I understand that wanting to to challenge himself at, at that level, and you know probably. Double his pay packet as well. I I do get it.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, Alan, I've got a question from Andy. He uh, messages and this is on the idea of transfers. Do you think that? Do you think that since Ange has explained the process of players only staying for a few years and those players being quickly replaced, and also for us not getting to attach them, has he calmed the support down a bit with regards to players leaving? I know I'm a lot calmer about players leaving now as I feel there's a process going on to recruit and it's not just doo doo hand showing up at the door with a couple of lads wearing football boots. <laughs> uh, good question, Andy. Um, do you think that kind of has kind of spread through about, you know, because the process has kind of been explained to us, um, you kind of are well aware. There are times in Celtic's recent past where. Players would just kinda of leave out of nowhere and there wasn't necessarily an adequate replacement being lined up or but the way I just explained it, it seems to be a process that is kind of fixed. Um do you think it has can kind of players um the support down in regards to panicking about players leaving?
1: I think I think it definitely does help when your manager appears to be on the same or uh, some semblance of the same wavelength as, you know, the people that, you know, make those decisions. Um it does help. It's very different days from, you know, Brendan Rogers telling us that he didn't really know much about the lad coming in, you know, in respect to Marion Schwed. Yeah. But there's nothing that will alarm you more than a manager saying he doesn't really know anything about someone coming in. And I think we've seen that it kind uh, it quickly unraveled from there in that respect. Because if you're at the stage where you're willing to tell the media that actually there's a disconnect there, I think it means you've thought about it quite a bit yourself um, and you probably know where it's going. Whereas with Ange, I think he is... I think he's been probably quite realistic. Um, I think that's maybe more more true than anything else. He just accepts, probably similar to his position, that it's not a club that you'll necessarily be at for your career. Um, it might be the highlight of the career, but it won't be, you know, it's not necessarily going to be five, six, seven years for each player. And, you know, you can apply that to him. So I think there's maybe a realism with it there as well. So I think it definitely does help. But, you know, they do do that hand turning up the players, I'm probably not as convinced as most people. I'm enjoying it for the moment, but I'm not necessarily as convinced that we've moved away from that and we'll never go back to it. I feel it's, um, I don't want to be negative, um, but it does feel like it's all tied as one that you could very quickly go back to that. And we had some wins out of that um, and we had some losses as well. It was never dull, I'll say that. Much.
0: Uh, Alan, just your kind of thoughts on Jaranovic. It's um, obviously better that he goes at this point in the window than like the last kind of hours where we potentially think we're going to keep him and stuff? Are you just happy it's kind of completed and finalised?
1: I, I mean, I don't think it makes... It's good that it's done, and I think the fee is reasonable. Um, You know, I think that the fee reflects probably where he's at in terms of his, you know, career... Um, you know they'll get a good two, three years out of him. He does rely heavily on that speed and that acceleration with the ball. Um, so I think that's, I uh, think it's a decent fee considering what you paid for him, and you've already signed his replacement. Um, I'm quite happy with it. I think it's a, I think it's a decent move for him. There's a lot tied into as, as Callum says where Union Berlin go in the next couple of years, but I think it's it's quite nice for a player to go and there not to be any, but well, certainly in my part, I, I, there's not really any particular acrimony. It's a good move. For him. It's a good move for us. You know, he, he was professional till the very end. He, he was excellent in, in um the the semi final. So it's actually quite nice. It's as clean a transfer, I think, as uh, as you'll get. Um so yeah, all good. I hope I hope he does well. But um, uh, we can uh, we move on with our, our our new JJ at right back, the Canadian.
0: The Canadian. Uh, lovely stuff. Uh, and yeah, I, I think um, yeah, I think that it has been Pretty positive. I think it's been clear that he was going to leave for for a while, for quite a while, and everyone's kind of came to that kind of realization. And yeah, oh, good for you, quite JJ. Because, and I'm sure it's uh, quite bizarre not to have turned on a player.
1: I think you don't feel that like, you feel as if you've maybe missed something.
0: Yeah, what's he actually? I what's he actually done? <clears throat> did they make a demand? Was there you know? Did they hold the club to ransom? None of that, which is disappointing in a way. Um But Callum, I'm sure you'll see him at some cool hip. Y- y- Bar in Berlin, the mad gigs that you go to and all that. Hopefully, or if
2: not, you'll see my Joseph Uranovich traitorous to scum scumbag <laughs> at the next game. So either way,
0: either way, either way, it's a win. Uh, lovely. Um, we got a, before we go to the news. There's a fun question from uh, Gregory. He asks, "All right, team. Here's a mega curveball question. I watched Tibbs versus Hearts yesterday, which was a dismal, unadulterated dross fest for the most part." Apart from one player who was head and shoulders above the rest on the pitch, even at the ripe old age of 36, Aidan McGady. This is a hypothetical, and I must stress, I'm not saying we should re-sign him tomorrow. I'm just interested to hear the thoughts of you and the gang, to what extent could he still do a job for us if he played in a hypothetical number 10 role in Ange Ball? His vision, trickery, and game intelligence are light years of ahead of everyone in the domestic game outside of Celtic, and yesterday may have proved he still got it. Cheers team agenda and keep providing the good vibes on an otherwise Pish Mondays. Gregory Clark from the Republic of West London. Um it's an interesting one. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I absolutely adore Aidan McGady and I would re sign him tomorrow. I, I, I don't I don't care. I would sign him. I think he's class still. Um Alan, hypothetically, as Gregory keeps saying, what's your thoughts? I got
1: that. Yeah, I got. I got the <laughs> hypothetical part. Um, I, I will shock you here, Christopher. I also watched Hibs Hearts yesterday, um, and he, he was certainly the best Hibs player by quite some margin. He was. He was the the kind of only shining light for them, which is quite worrying when you are only shining light is the oldest player in your team by quite some distance. Um, and I also adore Aidan McGeady. I think he. Um, he'd, I think we undersell him and how, how good a career he had and what you know how good he was for us. So, but I just even as a hypothetical, my immediate reaction is: you remember when Juranovic asked Ange for the day off, and Ange turned around and just gave him that shocked expression. <laughs> That's exactly what I would think the reaction would be from Ange if it was mooted to him that he could have Aiden Migidi. Um, but. I think he still shows he's got plenty of time left in this league. Um, if he gets the right system, and the right fit, if he can stay fit, but yeah, even as a hypothetical, I think it's a uh, yeah. I I like the idea of it, and it's a nice question. It's nice to pay tribute to a player like him, but also very much through the prism of as long as he doesn't play for us. Um, see, which sounds mean, but
0: see, see, just genuinely from my point of view, let's say he was, let's say he was coming through the youth system and he, he was twenty, right? I know he made his debut at 16 for for us originally, but let's say he was 20 right now or 19 and you had him at that sort of time, he would just be an incredible asset. Like 36 is obviously different from when he was younger, right? But either way, I think, you know, he would just, his, his actual technical ability, his ability to beat players, I think he would slot right in, no bother. I think he'd be great.
2: Okay, I, I was, I was well, looking for, I was
0: looking for a I was looking for somebody. Come on.
2: He'd be a fantastic asset for Man City's B team or whoever he'd moved on to at the age of 16. Um that's a good point. I know, I, you know he was he was and still is, you know, a quality football player. You know, he had he was never overly reliant on on pace or whatever. He always yeah. had great technique and trickery, and that's probably what we'll see him, you know even in the in the later stage of his career still be able to impact and affect games um because he does have that that quality and it isn't built on sort of physical physical attributes but um Aye. he's he's simply too old in the style of football that we play it is too high octane for for us to be entertaining a 36 year old winger but what better way to announce that peter lowell is back in the building <laughs> Then Aidan McGeady on a fee replacing outgoing Jota or something.
0: Oh Jesus! Uh, on
1: on the basis there is one condition in which I would welcome this news with glee, and it's on the condition that I can break the news to Christian directly in person. <laughs> um, if I can do that, then I'm on board and give him whatever he wants.
0: Um, great stuff! Uh, I'm sure Christian might pick up on that later on. Uh... Keith, Jack- I just want to quickly talk about Keith Jackson's article really quickly just because we've had a question about it um, there's one of the quotes in it that he said was, eh, what's luck got to do with it well, had Eddie Howe's feet not turned to ice at the thought of taking on the task of rebuilding Celtic then Postacoglu would probably still be playing his football on the other side of the planet rather than bringing half the Far East with him to Glasgow uh, one of the, A question from Ian. Um, we've all seen Keith Jackson's Far East comments today. Is the fact that Beale is, in the nicest possible way, a complete tube who will spout any old shite going to lead to an increasing amount of this kind of stuff? And do you think it's actually a benefit to us? Personally, I can only see positives as Ange has proven himself very savvy using nonsense to give the beat down to most. However, I am slightly mindful that the guys at the presser seem to be increasingly using Beale quotes to frame their poor questions. Um... I mean, I'm guessing you've both seen the article um, or at least kind of browsed it. Callum, it's Keith Jackson cheerleading as per usual. Uh,
2: I've not not seen it and I've not read it, thankfully, but it doesn't surprise me, you know, Keith Jackson has a history of just reeling out strange sort of racial-related tropes. I remember that terrible Morelos article he did a few years ago as well, which was just full of cocaine puns. Um... He's not a very bright guy. He's not a very good journalist, first and foremost. Um, the Bill thing does play into it because Bill is, from what it seems, not smart enough or too naive in the role to sort of figure out how you know how to play the press or how to play the game a little bit. Um, you know, I seen him in a press conference video last week saying you know he was asked about transfer targets and he said I'm not going to name any names and then name the two names <laughs> immediately after. <laughs> Um, I think Beale is sort of trying to deflect and buy himself a little bit of time because you know he's came in they've they've won pretty much you know every game they've played bar when they faced us and they've still not chipped away at the, at the gap so I think a lot of Beale's comments and motivations for that whether it's about how much money we've spent um, and so on is to sort of buy himself a bit of good favour with the Rangers support and buy himself a little bit of time and you know, then it becomes very, very easy for journalists to just take that and and put it to Ange because it creates a bit of controversy. It creates no matter what Ange responds, you'll be able to, you know, frame it as Ange responding to to bill. Um and that will generate clicks and revenue and it'll sell newspapers and so on. Um but, you know, the thing that I hope what happens uh, I'll be interested to see when it does is, you know, as soon as you know results start to turn for them a little bit you know, these comments and quotes and whatever, they do come back to bite you very quickly and you can no longer play the sort of smart ass character that, that Beale seems to to think he is. Um so yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that eventually hopefully unravel. Um but for now I don't think Andrew will have any problem sort of swatting those questions away.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um Alan, you know, I Callum's absolutely nailed it. But just on the idea that Michael Beale can get the better of Ange Postacoglu with his stupid wee daft snidey comments is pretty laughable
1: yeah I, I'm torn between trying to work out if it is naivety or whether he is trying to you know get under his skin a little bit I, I probably think it is naivety um, I think from from it's quite it's much easier in the position we're in though um, and I think for Ange I, I would hope that you just just as as can't said, just swat it away because there's nothing really to be gained um, from it. We're we're in a dominant position in the league. We don't really need to, um, you know, get involved and do anything that you know would potentially take your eye off the ball or anything that might, you know, cloud your judgment in any way when you shape up for games against strangers. Um, so I just kind of left it. Does. Initially, I did think it was maybe the headlines were being manipulated a little bit based on snippets. But when you do actually watch him, he (laughs) does, he genuinely does talk about Celtic (laughs) quite a lot for, you know, the manager of of Rangers. Um, So I do hope that there there does come a time in the future when Ange does have the opportunity post-game against Rangers, ideally on February 26th to both uh, figuratively take the man and the ball, um, or just take the man, actually. Um, I'm I'm not fussed, um, because that would be nice, it would be nice, but... I would be keen for it to be done when we're in an even stronger position than we are at the moment. Um, and February 2016 seems like a, a fairly decent opportunity to do that, hopefully. Especially if we've got a double-digit lead by that time, which would be helpful at that point. would then give him the green light to be as snidey as he likes. And I know that's maybe not in his character, but it would certainly make us feel better, so go you for
2: it.
0: You know when you your play, I don't know that maybe this is just me, but sometimes when I'm playing football manager and I'm really bored... And it becomes like there's a press conference, and you just start clicking the most provocative answer just to get a reaction, just to feel something. Just it kind of feels get yourself out for a wee walk,
1: mate. <laughs> for a wee, wee walk or something.
0: Yeah, um, I don't really play it anymore, to be honest with you. Um,
1: Sabotaging your own game that you are willingly playing. thats quite the quite a
0: move. I, you, when you're doing really well, and you just you're a bit bored. But that it, Michael Beale genuinely just feels like a wee guy. Like I'm going to say this, and it is going to pure rail them up. And it's like oh, fucking hell, man. Yeah deal with it.
1: He went to Brazil, you know.
0: <laughs> Did he? <laughs> Alright, okay. Uh, as far as I'm aware, he wrote the handbook out to Play With Ten Men, but I uh, well, don't know what that is now. Um, Celtic are set to complete the 2.5 million signing of Oh Ohun Go uh, in the coming days, having agreed terms with the South Korean striker. This is something that kind of has came out of, we've been a lot linked with a, a number of uh, strikers from uh, the South Korean League. Obviously, uh, Cho was the kind of main target, but um, happy with this this seems to be a young 21 year old he's an international he has a a real kind of hunger to succeed in um european football callum we don't know a lot about him at this point but fits the profile of what you're looking for
2: i think it's quite a quite an exciting one um you know i've watched you know the typical youtube highlights um and I like I like his sort of strength and physicality for, you know. Um he's not not necessarily the biggest guy, but he uses his body well. Um, you know, he's got a bit of pace about him. He looks he looks like Hugo and Hassel Hassle and Harry defenders yeah. quite happily and you know, give us a slightly different dimension from Kyogo. Um up top, um, whose game is much more about movement than it is to do with you know physicality or rolling anyone. Looks like a decent enough finisher can be a bit erratic at times, but he is you're also buying potential here. You know, he's, he's very young. And um, you know, the fact that he seems so keen on moving and he has the confidence in himself to to go and do that um, at such a young age is promising. Um so I am I'm, I'm keen to keen to get him in. Um I would be interested to see if this necessarily rolls out the Cho deal as well, because I know the sort of murmurings were that we were, we were interested in both and were keen to get in uh, both. So I, I would be interested to, to see him and sort of get a gauge on whether this is one for right now or one for, you know, 18 months down the line once he once he's developed a bit because Chola, like, uh, you know, if you were bringing him him in, it was very much to compete with Kyogo. Yeah. Um, you know scored goals in the World Cup and so on. Always his calibers, you know, it's a, bit, a little bit less uh, in terms of what he's achieved so far, far in his career. Um, but he looks like he's got bags of potential. Um, so if it does happen, fingers crossed, I'm really looking forward to seeing him in a, in a Celtic jersey um, and sort of getting, you know, I feel for what he can tr- contribute um, t- towards the end of the season. Uh,
0: Alan, you know, Callum mentions uh, Cho there and obviously it's since the even before the transfer window opened, he's been it looks like he's been the number one target or at least the kind of one that we were maybe top of the list. Um, do you still think there's any chance that we could sign both these players?
1: I, I think from a financial perspective, I don't see any any issue with it because I don't think either deal would be, you know, the the fees have been banded about even for Cho. I, I don't think if you were buying two strikers and you were spending, you know, the guts of 7 million, I don't think that would be outlandish. Yeah. I think it would be more, I think then that would play into, you know, what Cam's mentioned about um, for O, who is a little bit younger and has less experience Um you know, this, this has really been what looks like he's you know, he's played the most football this year. I think he's had 45 appearances this year. It's much more than, you know, any previous campaign. Um, I wonder if that would be with the idea of then further developing him elsewhere or, you know, just allowing him to take the bed in. We do only play one up front. I don't really see that changing. And you would have three players for that, you know, for that position. And I agree again, Cho would be a player that I think that would come in and immediately compete with Kyogo for a starting position. So I think it would be more along the lines of that development plan for, you know, a twenty one year old striker would just be a little bit um a little bit different based on that. So I don't think it would be, you know, blocked by money, but it'll be interesting. Um Keith Jackson will have to update his um article the next time to say three quarters of the Far East have moved over because we've signed two players. So you know he'll make that adjustment. But I, greedy. I'd like them both. I, I really like Cho as well. And even despite some of the kind of The to and fro, he just looks like a really good player. I think it's interesting, you know, having looked at them both, and they both look more like foils than, you know, exactly the same as Kyogo. Kyogo would be the one that I think would be, um, he would be distinct and entirely different from the two of them. Because I think Cho looks much more of an all-rounder, whereas I think O does look like he... He would be a foil and I think other players would enjoy playing in and around him um, So I think his link play might be a little bit stronger um, so it's interesting that that I think there is a clear trying to move into a different dynamic and I, again I can only imagine that's with trying to kick on a gear so interesting to see them I think with oh, it'll be very interesting to see what the bedding process for him would be especially with Jack and Mac is gone if we only sign him because I think then you would be you know he's your backup striker by default then really so um, it would be a quick adjustment, so it'll be interesting. That I, I think we'll end up with them both, if I'm honest. Um Love it. which would be very exciting. I just think that pathway then for the 21 year old would be a little bit interesting because I think we said it last week. If you're moving from you know South Korea to Glasgow to play for Celtic, you're moving from South Korea to play for Celtic. I don't think alone another club domestic would be an option or something you would look to do. Have so
0: you heard? You have you on. heard of the Lowland League?
1: Uh, yeah, he's he, it has been his dream to play against Boness since he was a, a, a young boy.
2: Um, he's a big fan of Open Goal Sport. He listens to <laughs> it
0: every week, and you can't wait to get out there and impress Cy Ferry <laughs> and
1: be presented with a bottle of Glenn's vodka.
0: <laughs> um, we'll be doing a um, Christian's going to do a, a, a scouting report, um, and uh, it'll be mentioned on the review tonight. All um, seems to be um, uh, mostly played in a four-four-two this season. Sometimes a four to three one, so that kind of plays into the um, what you were saying there, Alan. Uh, Here's the kind of elephant in the room. If we brought both of them in, would that be an indication that maybe that would be the succession plan for potentially Kyogo moving on at some point?
1: Thoughts, Alan? How dare you? You
0: know,
1: we talked. How dare you? I did not see that in the rundown.
0: Well, you know, ah, this
2: is really depressing for a Monday morning. For fuck's
1: oh, sake. come on, that's great. Like, see, when we say we're not all, all happy about players moving on, we mean the players who have or are very <laughs> shortly about to be moved on. I don't need anybody else suggested. All right. A diff- delicate balance on a Monday. And punting Kyogo is, uh, certainly doesn't fit into that balance. All right,
0: all right, okay, fair enough.
1: Uh, we, uh it's his birthday as well at the weekend. You have got some fucking nerve on
0: you. Shut up, Alan.
1: Did you see the wee, the the little celebration that the players got in the dressing room after? They no, obviously I... got somebody in the and team to do it.
0: No, I didn't see that. I turned it off because I hate Kyogo. It was nice. So, I hate him.
1: I said, happy birthday, Kyogo. Did I? It, I... Looked like a, it looked like, what looked like a £5 Tesco birthday cake that somebody had very hurriedly bought.
0: Did it say on it, um, the succession plan for, for you is coming soon, you wee idiot? It's
1: quite quite a lot to put in a play-in. <laughs> it's even
0: an Alan Partridge play-in, <laughs> yeah. it's probably GG no fit. Um, GG seems to be the, the kind of other big name, obviously, that's kind of looking to move on. Um, Gus Poyet, who's the Greek manager, basically came out and kind of confirmed that, in his mind, it's because he's not playing enough goals. Playing enough goals. Playing enough games. Uh, he's not playing regularly he feels he wants to play the more good decisions you make your career the better your career gets but whether it but whatever he is in the world he will be in the national team if he doesn't have injury problems um so obviously he's coming out and saying as well that a move to japan wouldn't necessarily kind of affect uh, him getting chosen for for greece so from that point of view the fact that he wants to play every week the fact that the national team managers came out and said you know if you go to a league that's maybe you know not as shown are widely available in Europe doesn't really affect as much Um, do you think it will be sorted out within the next, obviously there's only what 7, 30 days half September, April, June and November there's 8 days left of the transfer window do you think he'll go this week Cal? Um, I hope so because
2: it's not nice when these things rumble on and it becomes quite annoying. And if you, you feel like a lot of our plans, particularly you know discussing O oh, and Cho might be contingent on GG moving on. You yeah. know, we were quite surprised um, earlier in the window when you know Yuranovic's replacement came in. You know, before he'd even left the building, that seemed quite un-Celtic. Um But there is always that fear in your back of the mind that we won't sanction your know, spending. Four, five, six million on on two players until we we know for a fact that we're getting whatever it is we do get for for Jack and Mackey. So, um, you know, I hope it does happen so it can accelerate things and we kind of just have some some clarity on the the squad we're going into for for the sort of latter half of the season. Um, yeah, uh, right now it's it's a, a bit of an impasse, and I think part of that is maybe the types of clubs that have came in for them. Uh, and the money involved is maybe not what we we initially expected. I think if there was a championship club interested, you know, that were potentially pushing for promotion or even some, you know, EPL relegation strugglers that basically wanted someone that could guarantee you sort of seven to ten goals between now and the end of the season and not do much else, then then I think these things would have moved on a, a lot quicker. But uh, the types of clubs that have came in for them are all a bit random. Neither you know, neither the MLS side the uh, the Japanese team around Reds you don't know, necessarily have a record of of spending big, so I think the you know considering what the club's expectation maybe was and maybe it was a little bit high for the kind of fees and offers we get um I think once we've been hit with the the reality of the situation it's gonna it's gonna cause it to move a little bit more slowly than it has done um but yeah, I think it would be best for all parties if we can sort of. Get it resolved this week um and then hopefully we're going into a, a very very boring deadline day where there's you know no no real outgoings apart from dead dead wood. and then you know probably no signings unless some you know unless there's a little surprise towards the end of the window window um but yeah i'm I'm glad that we 've got the majority of our business done relatively early and this feels like the f- final piece of the jigsaw and you'd be fairly happy with the if the window if O came in and Jackie Mac went out and, and that was the rest of our business.
0: Uh, Alan are you surprised you know Cal makes the point there about like um, English championship cl- um, sides maybe going for promotion or you know relegation uh, teams uh, what's, I didn't realise actually that Southampton are, are kind of rock bottom at, at this point I you know I've not really like, checked up on the English uh, Premiership uh, EPL um, the last couple of weeks, but ultimately are you surprised that no championship sides at least have kind of come sniffing around Giacomacus because that league is a league where he would definitely score goals
1: Yeah, I'm probably a little surprised there hasn't been more options in the table, I mean we say championship, but even in mainland Europe um, I may be surprised that there's not a primary option, I do I do get the impression I think um and you kind of maybe alluded to it in one of his post-match interviews about players, you know, making the right step for them. And I do feel like Gigi, uh, you know, you look at his career up to now, his stock is probably at an all-time high. He probably does want to maximise his opportunities. So I think if he is going somewhere, you know, I'm sure there's a balance to be struck between, um, you know, making the right move for his career, but also making the right move personally. And really, who will, you know, be able to set him up for, um you know, for his post football career, and maybe that's figures into it a little bit. You know, his agent will be communicating roughly what his expectations would be in terms of, you know, salary, and um, you know, perhaps that plays into it. Also, think as well, we think that teams will look at his goal record and say, "Well, he scores goals," but you know, much like us, clubs will put the research into any potential targets and will look at him and they will see the flaws that you know. I think most of the fans see as well. Um, I think there is probably a more natural stylistic fit and I'm sure there's teams that would get more out of Gigi because he has a, you know, really natural finisher in the box and he, he can be, you know, he can be quite creative, you know, when he's in the round area. But yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't expect Premier League interest. I think maybe just age and you know, some of the flaws in his game probably wouldn't um, do that unless it's a backup option. So, and I don't think he's interested in that. I think he wants to go and play football and, you know, maximise his earning um, potential. So I think maybe that's figured into it a little bit. But, um, you know, wherever he goes, uh, I'm sure he will score goals in it. i maybe a wee bit different. I think at the age of 28, you know, you've played in, you know, Holland, you've played in Scotland. I think if a club came in from Japan, you would see it as a great opportunity to really go, you know, off the field as a massive shift as well but there's a real opportunity to you know make an impact over there and really you know become a you know potentially two or three years there you know score goals and you know become a hero over there I think it's a nice opportunity and to be honest it probably beats going down to I don't know Stoke or you know somewhere like that you know we kind of we're a bit sniffy but Tom Roderick's moved to West Brom so we can't have it both ways then when a player says he's going to Japan I think you need to maybe think what the player wants and I think I would pick um, you know a red diamonds over Stoke City personally
0: yeah, it's it's definitely a sort of a lifestyle transfer um, going to Japan. I think it would be just amazing the, the opportunity to to live in uh, play in Japan. But yeah, it's just it, it, obviously I think everyone's a little bit surprised that there hasn't been more interest from from any other sort of European clubs. Um, but we'll we'll wait and see. Obviously, and hopefully, as as Calum says, it's the, the dependent. Hopefully, it's uh, hopefully the signing of O isn't dependent on. Jackamac is going out and we hopefully sign O as and when we can but we'll see, um, all that all that kind of uh, transfer stuff, it's, as I say the the window's closing so there's plenty of opportunity for things to change I guess um, David Turnbull is someone who will not be going out on loan, it doesn't look like um, he was quoted at the weekend as saying um, in regards to the potential exit, I've not heard or seen anything about that but that's where I thought I was at I thought I was a big part of this club every time I come here and train and play I just give 110% and don't look anywhere else there's always boys clipping at everyone's heels. There's boys playing each game, but like this, others have stepped in and haven't looked out of place, so it's just about grabbing your chance. It's tough for anybody when you're not playing as much as you would like, but you just need to go in there, and when you get your chance, take it with both hands. Um, good to hear. Uh, good good attitude from from David Turnbull. That's not to say that if something doesn't come up in the last couple of you know days in the window that Celtic and him potentially might want to move on, but... Um, how how did you find him against uh, well the last two performances, St. Midden and um St. Middon and Morton? He scored two absolutely cracking goals. That's what you get from O'Callum though, isn't it? He's got great technique, you know, from about twenty-five
2: yards out, there's a few better, you know, striking a football yeah. uh, in that squad. Um you know that's never been in question. Even from when he first broke in under under Lennon, and sort of this latter half of that season, seemed to be sort of almost carrying the team at points. You know when when they were looking for either goals or creativity. Um, so you know you know he's got that talent and and that ability in him, but it's the I think the question over David Turnbull is the other elements of his game and whether you know he can become a rounded enough player to consistently play as an eight. Um, and you know, after last season or the first half of last season, where him and Tom Rogic very much sort of carried the team um, far better than than any of us would have expected. Um, you know, you thought that he had the real potential to kick on and improve under Ange, and he was maybe one of those players you would look to as you know, you know, in terms of Ange really working with them and developing them, and then you know, potentially selling them on at a certain point. You know, the arrival of Hitati and O'Reilly's kind of obviously knocked him down the pecking order a wee bit. Um and I think in the past couple of games he's he's been good, you know, grabbed a couple of goals, looked looked all right. Um but I still, for me, he's, he's still not doing enough that you would say he needs to start over either O'Reilly or Hatati. I think yeah. the, the qualities that they bring to the team just overall offers you a whole lot more. Um, so it's a shame because you don't want to see somebody's Celtic career sort of peter out. And it does have a sort of grim feeling that that might happen uh, right now, alone might Alone might be good good for him, just in terms of you know playing games and get back in that r- rhythm of playing um, every weekend. Um, but right now, from a from a selfish perspective, I don't think we could afford to to let David Turnbull go out on loan or or go anywhere. He's you know he's definitely a bit more than capable uh, squad member that you would happily have in. Um, so no, I don't see anything you know potentially now. Maybe in maybe in the summer, you have a year left on his deal. I think that's one that we potentially look at. Um, but right now, no, he's from a selfish point of view. His development and so on needs to take a back seat because we've got a league to win.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's selfish as it is. I think I completely agree with you. Um, Alan, we, we talked about this in the weekly a couple of weeks ago, and it was a, a good discussion between uh, you and Sir Manny about, you know, David Turnbull's path. But you know this is another guy you know we, we talked about Jackie Marcus there and you know his uh, the national team manager Gus Poyet coming out and saying you know if he's playing he'll get picked it doesn't really matter where he plays in regards to the league and Turnbull is a guy who is has been quite consistently in the Scotland squad over the last uh, kind of year or so probably on the a lot of it on the back of his performances with Tom Rogic in in the eight position last season he probably will be looking at that thinking if i'm not playing i'm not going to get picked as much and that there will be a cross there will be an answer to be a question to be answered at some point it might just not be for the next six months
1: well, i think uh, i think calms correct and that i think there is a discussion probably at the end of the year for the player because i think there is enough game time for him you know he is involved he's he's not out the picture entirely so i don't think there's an urgency there but as i think the end of the season if he was to have another year where potentially Celtic are looking to strengthen and he sees himself in that same role, he would find himself frustrated. But he is only 23. Um, I still think I think a loan move would have to be a really, really good fit, even if it was for next year. It would need to be somewhere that was engaging. I think Celtic would be looking for a fee for it as well, which I think, I mean, I think we talked about it in the week later. I'd be ruling out a, a domestic loan move because he's too good to play at any other side in the league and he would have to be challenging himself elsewhere. Um, but I, I think at the end of the season there is a discussion to be had, certainly, and I'm sure um, the player will absolutely be thinking about that. And Ange said that um, I think again in his post match interview recently it was quite open and frank. You know that he is actually in dialogue with players quite often. You know about you know the game time, their careers, which seemed a little bit of a departure from the approach that um, you know players and ex. Always have mentioned about Ange previously and that actually he's quite distant. So I found that quite interesting as well. And I think Turnbull would be one of those. But um I thought he go cool at the weekend was spectacular, to be fair. The technique for it was um outstanding. And his job between now and end of the season is to when he does get game time, whether it's against Morton or whether it's against Rangers, you need to do something with it. And um the last two games he's um you know, that there has been, you know, he's shown what he can do, that he does have great technique, but he does need to do more. And that, that's why he finds himself just slightly out of the picture because there's more required. So it's interesting. I did think, I, I haven't heard the interview in which he said those quotes. I think it's quite unusual to ask a player about a potential loan move when, as far as I can see, there hasn't been any suggestion or yeah, any link yeah. with any other team. Um, I, I think it's a wee bit unprofessional to ask a player about that if it is just rumour or you know chumps like us on a podcast that, that doesn't make it a rumour or a link that just makes it it's a bit unusual I think to ask a player about a potential loan move when as far as I can see there has been no suggestion I can imagine a player being a bit when I, to be polite because you know you're working your ass off you've just played well in a game and then someone says you know potentially about a loan move I, I don't know they just maybe I have to listen to it but it just it struck me as a little bit odd that you'd ask the player that directly
0: yeah, and um, we've got a related question um, from Patrick McHugh. When I say related question, it's about our, our midfield uh, and Aaron Moy. Uh, hi, guys. For me, Aaron Moy was man of the match against Morton. Did the panel think that he should be kept for another season? On one hand, he's getting on a bit and we need to clear space for younger players to come through. His lack of pace is also an issue in the system we play. We also have to learn the lessons of uh, Joe Hart when it comes to offering further years to a veteran player after a a successful first season. Um, On the other hand, there is no doubt in Moy's talent. We need to clear it of the Deadwood, i.e. McCarthy, and those that just aren't good enough to hold down a starting position, i.e. Turnbull. Um, Having a player like Moy for another season would give Ange a rotation option while potentially bedding in midfield additions. What do the panel think? That's from Patrick McHugh, who's in Cologne in Germany. Keep up the good work. Great question, Patrick. Uh, Callum, your thoughts? Aaron Moy, is he worth maybe an, an extension?
2: I think if you can shift a lot of the, the deadwood, the likes of McCarthy to and and then Moy sort of drops down, a rung in terms of who you would go to in that sort of midfield rotation and he's maybe your fifth or sixth choice midfielder then I think he's more than showing that he has qualities that he can contribute. certainly domestically you know also that quality of that near Beaton had of being able to bring on a player in 15 minutes to go and slow the tempo right down you know Aaron Moy was born to do that because he doesn't exactly slow the you know quitting the tempo Uh but he's he's brilliant at holding on to the ball and, and keeping things ticking over. And if you give him time and space, you know he will you will pick a pass. Um so no I think he's been he's been great in recent weeks. It's also nice to have somebody who steps up to hit a penalty and you feel quite confident about them hitting it because <laughs> they certainly not had that for for a while. Um you know, for years actually I can't think of a team that's worse at penalties. But um I I've been I've been pleasantly surprised with how much he's contributed uh in, in recent months. I think the World Cup was really good for him. He came back sort of buzzing and, and energized um after a few really good performances and, and sort of has really kicked on and grabbed his chance and you know it's testament to how well he's playing and that he's keeping a young player like David Turnbull who has bags of talent out of the team just because Andrew right now thinks he's you know, well, he's a better better fit, you know, offers you offers you more on, on you know. In in terms of his all-round game. Um, So in terms of, you know, an extra year, I can't imagine he's on crazy money or anything like that. I'd be very surprised if he was. Um, And provided he can shift some of the deadwood, I think he's, you'd be more than happy to have him around the squad and knowing that he can come in and and do a job. but I, I would like it to be sort of, you know, dropping down a rung in that rotation so that you can essentially bring in Iwata maybe bring in another eight um, or whatever and then, you know, his minutes might be slightly lessened next year. I think that's probably the best way to sort of ease this transition of the the midfield, which I think will change over the next eighteen
3: months.
0: Um, obviously, you've got, as you mentioned, Callum. You've got uh, Adiguchi, You've got James McCarthy, and you've got Abelgaard. Those are, are three players who aren't contributing in any way. They're not making the bench even. So, you know, if if Moy, this is just my point of view. I think if you can. See, because he's already played twenty nine games this season. We're only in January. He's probably going to play. I don't know what potentially or be involved in like forty games. So if you drop turn to him and you say next season, you know you're not you're not going to be involved in forty games. You might be involved in twenty games. Is that is that a kind of discussion? You think he'd be open to Alan? Would he be open to taking that drop down? Or maybe he wants to play first team somewhere else for the last couple of years of his career?
1: Yeah, I think I would certainly agree that if we can clear out, you know, some players that aren't playing, then there would be a net improvement in the average ability of the squad because you know he's shown that he definitely can contribute, and I think he's been he's been a real joy to watch, and I think he's been exactly what we hoped he would be domestically, very strong, um, and probably actually even better than that. I don't think I've seen him dislodging um, Matt O'Reilly um, or any starter, to be honest, when he came in. So you know he's done really well there. I think you would have to. Obviously, his circumstances are a little bit different. I think everybody seems to know that, um, obviously, he has a wife um, who stayed here, I think, when he moved um, to play in China. So I wonder if he's maybe, having had that experience, he would be quite happy to see out, you know, the, the last years he's created in Glasgow. Or you could look at it and say that, you know, he's an ambitious person and he is willing to go and, you know, make money or, you know, take a brave move elsewhere. I wouldn't be against it. If they gave him another year, I would be quite content. He's been a real joy to watch and now that he does have a song that the stadium absolutely loves singing, it's probably yeah. worth making the most of that. That genuinely was one of the highlights this Saturday. Um so yeah, I would I would be I would be quite happy. But if we are going to be aggressive and really about, you know, constantly improving the team, then I wouldn't be surprised if it is uh, you know, a one year thing. Um and, uh, you know, hopefully he goes with a, a league title tucked under his, his belt. But I, I would be inclined to give him another year and try and punt some of the guys that aren't making match day squads. And then, as Callum says, have him in that reduced role because he has a, he does seem like a consummate professional as well. And I think you, you do need that experience and, and guys like that around and, Post World Cup, he seems like him and my idea have been different players. So, you know, I think you could definitely squeeze another year out of him in a slightly limited role.
0: Um, you, Callum mentioned earlier about um, you know players signing for other kind of elite kind of uh, academies and stuff. Um, former Celtic academy player Josh Adam who signed for Manchester City. There was a big kind of uh, pull for him from, you know, lots of different clubs. He signed for Man City when he was 16. He's now 18. Uh, he's got 18 months left in his contract. And the Man City are looking to essentially move him on to Lorient, I think it is, in the in the French League. Yeah. Um, he's got 18 months left of his, his, his deal. Um, does this just highlight, like, these academies, you know, Liverpool are really famous for it, where they bring in players who they think have potential, but not necessarily potential, you know, to you know, go in their first team. And it's kind of like, they're like flipping these players for a profit. Um, that's kind of what it seems like. And it's it's quite frustrating. But, you know, I, again, you know, if he can go from, you know, if he can go to the, the French uh, league and, and, and play first team football, obviously that'll benefit him as a player. But it's quite frustrating to see them take players that probably would have potentially helped us in our first team and just kind of flip them off, flip them on. Alan, what's your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I think it is frustrating. Um, I think a lot. The instinct to, is to see, is to go see. That's what happens when, when you leave the security of uh, Celtic. But, you know, it it's probably is a decent move, to be fair. I, I haven't seen it or heard any of about a uh, thing about him since he did go to City. So... Um, I really don't know whether he would have contributed in any way, shape or form to um, the first team here. There is an instinct that we obviously don't like to see um, young guys move. It was the same with the, the, the lads that went to Bayern as well. But the development of players at that age, the, the younger they are, it's harder to tell whether they will make it. So, yeah. you know, he's obviously taking a step down, but taking a step down from City's not necessarily, um, you know, it's, it's hardly a disgrace. So it's one to watch out for, but whether they turn out good elsewhere or not if we believe that the players that we've put money into and the players that um, you know we've tried to give a pathway to in the opt to go elsewhere it always is frustrating whether or not they're a success elsewhere is kind of besides the point Um, so I think it is something that we do need to tidy up and um, you know Try and not have these players go elsewhere. If they're going to fail, they might as well fail here. That's that's the model. That should be the, the new ambitious model for the academy. Yeah. if you're going to fail anywhere, fail here.
0: What's your kind take on it, uh, Callum? Um, thoughts? I there's certainly a
2: a general frustration, you know, particularly with the sort of looming mini-crisis of uh, Champions League squads and registrations and so on, and not having enough, you know, Scottish develop whether we've developed it or their association-trained uh, um, because I think right now we're on the cusp of it. If we were to let the likes of McCarthy go, or David Turnbull, or Stephen Welsh, then you're then scrambling around looking for Scottish players, and you don't want to be bringing in Scottish players that are you know substandard just for the sake of it, for meeting you know a, a UEFA you know squad registration. Um, so, I think in, in terms of the sort of long term ambitions and development of, of the club, you know, holding on to these talents, your better talents who you genuinely believe can probably go and make, you know, a first team impact in, in a few years' time. You know, and that, having that sort of core, core, of young, good Scottish players that that can contribute, um, it definitely helps because you know there, there is a slight concern right now that in the summer we're going to have to be rooting about looking for Scottish players that a we can afford. Uh, and B that we think we can, can contribute, and and there's not exactly a long list of of names. So the better we can develop talent in house and and work with them and integrate them in a good way, you know, in terms of you know in the lo- in the long run, it will, it will serve us a lot better than you know having to go into the market and look for that.
0: Yeah, Josh Adam, I think he he played uh, in the Premier League two, He scored one goal, two assists, and thirteen appearances. I was just reading about uh, the kind of promises that are made. Uh, Jason Wilcox is the guy who was in charge of the the youth system at City. He's now moving to be director of football. Um, where is it? he's going again? I can't remember. Is it South London or he's, he's go, he, Jason Wilcox is moving to become a director of football in a Premier League club? Sorry, I read that at the weekend. Um, but their youth strategy aims to offer young players um, a route either to the first team or to top level senior football elsewhere. So it is that sort. of I'm sure when they're pitching to these players, are like this is what we can kind of promise you and. You know, it's it's interesting because if you look at the facilities and you look at the players and stuff, it's just it's something we probably can't offer them. We need to give them, I think, uh, offer them something that no one else can. Um, this kind of takes uh, me... Sorry. I think
1: just just on that, when you mentioned the facilities, I was talking at the weekend to, um, to someone and we were chatting about City and I think most people, whether you've experienced it or not, or whether you've been down there and seen it, you just assume, yeah, it's a big club, so you know, they're quite good and they maybe get good pitches. It is it is entirely different. It is there is no comparison between the the campus down there and what they've got and what they have for young players and the you know, the support staff, everything they have there. It's it's just geared towards that exact thing, not necessarily making it at Man City, but making it as a professional. And I think you can see sometimes the attraction for players because it feels much more personal. It feels like there is you know, there's something in it for them, as opposed to hoping they make the grade here and hoping that they can do well in the B team, etc. So I think when you actually see it firsthand and they had campus down there is just incredible. And the amount of support staff, people they have that are there to ensure that these guys become the best that they can be, whatever that is. I think you can see why it's quite tempting. It is quite simply, it's another world. Um, so I think sometimes that can be it can be hard for us to to understand that maybe but when you do look at it you do see it as, you can see why players are very quickly tempted away
0: yeah um just on the kind of champions league group um obviously the locally trained players as well i was just looking over the minute players that played for celtic in the champions league last season we only actually used 22 players um obviously that's there's a 25 as the kind of maximum limit and of the 25, you need to have a a minimum of um, what's it? I think
2: it's four association and four club trained.
0: Four association and four club, absolutely. We had uh, 16 players who weren't uh, club trained or associated. The six players who did play who were, uh, Turnbull, Forrest, McGregor, McCarthy, Welsh and Taylor. Um, So actually we kind of fell under the actual not under the need to to, to have homegrown players, but we only use 20, sometimes I, I just wonder, is it better to have a smaller squad with more quality than to beef it up, as you say with, you know, three homegrown players when you bring one in for an extra player I don't know, I think there is a, a balancing act to be had, and I think sometimes there's this fear, you, you see it a lot on social media and I have friends in the pub talking about it about, we need these homegrown players because we need the biggest squad available and I'm just to give a kind of different point of view what what's your kind of thoughts on maybe a smaller tighter squad Alan?
1: I don't, I don't think either's good and if but the alternative is then picking if the talent's not there then it's, you're not going to use them anyway yeah. so I think you're discussing one and the same thing um, and you know I think um, I think as a concern not a concern this year probably or next year but going forward there will be potentially an issue um, but you know it's not ideal if you can't pick a full complement of players because you know you don't have enough homegrown or association team players it's not a great reflection um, on both us as a club and and obviously the wider country Um, you know us being able to pick talent from elsewhere it's not an ideal situation so you know injuries things like that it it can become an issue Um, I don't think it was the issue in this year's Champions League for us but you know it is one to watch and when you are talking about letting players go, you know, Turnbull Welsh, there is a tendency for us to not think that actually it's handy to have, you know, four natural centre halves, and, you know, Stephen Welsh being one of them you know, would be helpful if he can continue to develop. So it's one to watch out for.
0: Uh, Callum Muir, can I be thoughts on that as well?
2: Aye. Um, no, Alan's spot on it was something we, we sort of need to monitor because, you yeah, know, the likes of, Turnbull, Welsh and so on. Are the players that you maybe look at moving on, maybe identify as parts in the squad where you could bring in somebody who could then definitely challenge for a first team place, and that's how you sort of gradually evolve the squad and get better. Ralston's maybe maybe another one if you look at it right back. You maybe, you know, if you were to look to, to to replace him and bring in someone of even better standard than, than Johnston, that's how you develop as a as a team. So um yeah, it's definitely, you know, it's definitely something where it's a a slight cause for cause for concern. Um, but I think it's also part of a wider discussion about a sort of just a, a dearth of Scottish talent um At the minute, you know, and and the ones that sort of have broken through and have ended up in Serie A or whatever are now out of our reach. So I guess it's about us being a little bit more agile and switched on to that sort of developing Scottish market and the really good ones, whether it's an Aaron Hickey or so on, getting them into the football club before they're sort of out of our reach and, you know, priced beyond what we can afford.
0: Yeah I I just saw yesterday that uh, Josh Doig um is the defender with the most goal involvements in Europe's top 5 league this season. Um he's been playing really well. Um but also he's a player who I think we had this discussion. He just he wasn't necessarily shown that he would break into the Celtic first team. It, it, it's and, and and we put that tweet up and there was a lot of um, kind of responses about how we, we uh, Dad's um tweeted and said every time there are mentions, some turn their noses at them, uh, cynics included, and and it is kind of when you see when you watch a player, uh, I watched Josh Doig for a number of times for Hibs and I, I wasn't, I wasn't honestly overly that impressed, so it's really hard to judge how they're going to do outside of Scottish football, Alan. Yeah, I
1: think we, I think we talked about it a couple of weeks back. And I think there is, if you know Josh Doig if it was three and a half million pounds, when we spend three and a half million pounds on a player, generally the expectation is that player will be first team ready at the age. I think he, he broke through when he was 17. If I think if the, the big marker for me is if you're breaking through at that age and you're able to play first team football at that age consistently, um, then at the age of 18, you start becoming one of the key players in your team. That is an indicator that you will improve and that your trajectory is probably quite high. Now, Would he have been good enough for Celtic to start every week at 18? Probably not. But when you have that kind of prodigious talent, do we have a a player in our academy, you know, in that position that could go and play at Hibs and be one of their best players at the age of 18? That's the kind of thing you're looking at. You know, with Montgomery, who's went and is doing well at St. Johnson, but you know, he is a little bit older as well. So I think you've got to look at age and try and take yourself out of that game-by-game scenario of looking at it. And we always judge them when we come to Celtic Park, because you know, I, I don't watch Hibs games, so you look at them, when they come to Celtic Park and you think, yeah, he struggled, but you need to think about the wider context, um, and I think yeah, I think Daz is probably right, we can be quite bad for that, but there's a budget element for us as well, uh, maybe this conversation's a little bit tainted by the fact that we signed Bernabe for 3.6 million, who you know <laughs> were not thrown away, but you look at it now and think we would have been better You know, getting Josh Doig, that's fine, but We do need to act quicker because we are at a stage now when these guys become top performers in their team, whether it's 17, 18, 19. If they play a full season with that team, the likelihood is they'll be out of our reach. And we've seen that with Calvin Ramsey. So you do need to act quick. Um, But there is almost a, there is a, I don't know what it is, snobbiness, whatever you like. If we spend three and a half million from a player from Hibs and he doesn't work out, it feels... It feels like a waste and it feels like a really bad decision that would be. you'd be more critical of than signing someone who, you know, maybe is a little bit sexier. You know, a player coming from Argentina, it's, you know, we're all encouraged by that. But in hindsight, sometimes I think, yeah, I think the point's right, I suppose. Um, but we do need to identify at a younger age. If you're playing in this league and you're playing well in this league at the age of 17, 18, I don't think you should be, anybody should be ruled out.
0: Uh, good point Um, I've got a question for you Callum this is from Kevin from Brighton Um, hi all Uh, with the possibility of Kobayashi becoming a starter I wanted to talk about who who he could potentially be paired with I know most Celtic fans will instantly say CCV over Starfelt but it seems a bit unfair to me. Defensively I think they are fairly close and although I think their ability with the ball at their feet is also on par it feels to me that CCV often hides from the responsibility of getting the ball forward and Starfelt is often the one that needs to make a pass or a run. For me this gives fans a biased view of Starfelt because he's doing something he's uncomfortable with and it doesn't always work out whereas CCV just um, doesn't take that responsibility. Starfelt is also a naturally right-sided player but has been playing on the left, which again seems like it will be a bit of a bias towards CCV. Don't get me wrong, I really like CCV, but I just think Starfelt has been given the short straw in this pairing. Would love to hear the cynics' thoughts on it. Um, It's an interesting one. CCV has been incredible. He has been really consistent, as has Starfelt. There's that old... Um, uh, domestic i think it's just in domestic football that as they're paired together they haven't lost um which is a fantastic uh record kobayashi's came in two games in a row if he was i, I think it's far too early personally i think it's far too early to even discuss him breaking up Starfield c c v but if there was that discussion callum what would your thoughts and instincts say
2: uh an ideal world, I think you'd probably pair him with Carter Vickers. I think it's a little bit harsh to say that he hides. I do get the point that Starfelt probably does try drive forward with the ball a bit more and make things happen. Um but I think in terms of the the consistency that um Carter Vickers offers you. Um, you know he really makes a mistake, and you know if he does unlike starfield it doesn't seem to rattle him too much um you know I think Carl Starfield when he 's on it is a is a fantastic defender um but the concern is when he does get rattled, you know that can then affect his next you know twenty thirty minutes or the rest of the game um and he can sort of lose his head a little bit. Um, but I think I mean more realistically, looking at the sort of the age profiles of, of both players, I think Starfelt's maybe one year mark because you know that that guy will be here for four, five, six years as yeah. a quite consistent performer. Carter Vickers, particularly because you know he count he would count as you know an English player for any squad down south. Um, then you know, you can see potentially getting decent money for him, you know, in a year or two's time. Um and, he, and he's slightly younger as well. So I think he's the one that would be more more likely to to move on. Uh, and to be honest, that's fine that's fine because I think Starfelt certainly domestically is more than capable. And if Kobe Asher then comes in and, and kicks on, um, then it could be, you know, a a nicely balanced partnership. Uh but I think it's still a little bit too early to say. Um, from what we've seen, I think the signs from Kobayashi have been quite encouraging. Uh, he does look quite comfortable in the ball, um, but admittedly, you know it's been Martin and Saint Mirren so that be a hang fire. Yes, yeah. now
0: I think one one of the points Kev is trying to make, um, Alan, is that maybe um, Starfield doesn't get the kind of respect from from a certain part of the support. Is that something you agree with? Maybe disagree with?
1: Um, yeah, I, I do see this quite a lot, and. Um, I think sometimes we can talk Starfield down. Um, I, th- I think, well, I, don't, I don't think i being, it, it does make mistakes though. Um, and it, I think the mistakes it makes tend to be, they are very noticeable. Um, and as Callum says, they can impact. And I think the difficult thing, I think, is that you don't know necessarily when it's coming. Um, you know, sometimes we are under pressure, and I players a tendency. You know, the you know not to, but the tackle. Ibrooks, you know, he's been consistent. He's been superb. You know, imperious even domestically for you know largely since he came in. But then he just makes a big mistake, and you know, I know it's a game. It's only one mistake, and it's a game of small margins. But that's exactly why you've, it's a very it's, you, you, you can't do things like that. I think and. Um I think that's why most people would pick CCV and myself included. He has just like a safety net. You know, I, I think his consistency is is just perfect. Um I think he, he makes players around him feel comfortable. Um whereas Staffelt, I think recovery pace is really important for us. If you were not to pick Carol Safet, I think that recovery pace would necess- would be a huge loss. Um so you know that that is one of his strengths. But um I think it is a little bit early. I don't see CCV and Staffelt being, you know, injury. You know, permitting. I think they'll both be the parent of the end of the season. I think the point about staff playing on the left is fair. The only issue is we don't really know how much it has impacted them, and he would need a run in at that right hand side to really see if it has made a significant difference. I think it would help him a little bit with his passing. I don't think he's necessarily comfortable playing that pass out to Greg Taylor consistently under any sort of duress. Um, whereas it might be a little bit different on the right. So, um, you know, but but very lucky, but very fortunate. If Carroll Staffelt was to just tidy up some of those elements of his game, then I think, um, you know, I think he'd be a little bit closer run, but I would probably go with the safety net of Carter because if I, if I had to on the spot. Uh,
0: great stuff. Um, let's kind of focus on the weekend's action. Uh, let's go first to the Colt Report.
3: <music> Feels Beale looking to bounce back from the discipline of defeat the California Rovers this week as he took on a World Academy side in Juniors. Following a start of these losses, the boys were quickly first into action and they played out their session game in the Premier League International Cup. After being invited to the season's competition, the Elves kicked off with an unfortunate defeat to fill towards the end of last year. So, Wednesday's game offered simply be a good opportunity to get their first points on the board. And the game kicked off in fantastic fashion for the Hoops, thanks to an impressive first half showing, which handed as a 3-1 lead going into the break. And early rock was a double, so it seemed to take a healthy advantage in the opening 10 minutes of the game before Serena Souza Sosa added to the scoring and made it see ill after heading home from a cross into the box. Just before the break, side did manage to go back, but Daryl Daly's stealing lads would have been left delighted with the first half showing. Rose also had the chance to narrow the score further from the penalty spot, but it was well saved by Josh Clark between the sticks. The seed points looked to be all wrapped up for the boys when Scott Robertson added a fourth goal, just a few days before securing a move to Scott Brown's Fleetwood Town. The EPL Academy side did manage to pull one more go back, but it wasn't enough to catch Celtic, who came around victors. The focus couldn't remain on the previous game for long, as it just turned to low league action against Trinidad Juniors at the Excelsior Stadium. The recently promoted side to flag high near the top of the fifth tier, and it was a big game for both sides in the rescheduled fixture. You could see that as the two teams looked to suss one another out in the opening half. Celtic and Trinidad both enjoyed periods of possession in the game but failed to really test the goalkeepers. The away side managed by former SPFL striker Colin this attempted to press the boys higher in the second half, but the officers did really well to continue playing out the back. It paid off just after their match as Troy Dawson turned home the opener, scoring his eighth goal in five league games. And Adam Butch Ross from the right managed to cause danger in the training box as home side tried to clear. However, it fell away with Dawson, who stayed composed and tucked the ball home to continue to push for a crucial goal again the game and it came from substitute Ben Quinn after a brownie goal. Starting from the back bounce worked the ball very well as Ben scored both free with space in the shield 400 playing Dawson in behind. Englishman did well to round the goalkeeper with the ball falling perfectly into the path of Quinn to tap home. The last 10 minutes could have proved to be tricky as Slingham pulled a goal back late on to make the scoreline 2-1 from a corner. However, it's still to be held over the victor with three points Senior Hib's head to the top of the low league on goal difference. Next up is another tough for you of a trip to take on Lester City in the week before travelling to East for Bright next Saturday.
0: Great stuff as always from Lewis Laird. You can follow him on Twitter, Lewis Laird one talking all things Celtic uh, B and uh, loan stuff. Great, as always. Uh, Celtic 5, Morton 0. Alan, you were at the game. Thoughts on it overall?
1: I thought it was really good um, you know maybe not a great start um, and then obviously there's a you know, penalty decision and then after that it becomes a lot more comfortable um, but I thought it was really the, the team was very very strong um, not quite the the wholesale changes that uh, I had predicted on Thursday um, but the, the guys that came in I thought performed really well there were some really tidy performances Kobayashi I thought was really encouraging again um, and you were able even then to. Give some rest minutes, you know, in the second half to Cal McGregor, um, which is obviously quite important as well. Seeing a lot come on, so really, really good day all round. Uh, Morton brought quite a significant fan base as well, which was, uh, which was, I was very surprised by. Um, but and there was a big turnout from Celtic fans as well. So, no, really good day all round. Good start to the weekend. I, I liked the early kickoff actually. I liked that a lot. So, good day all round, and then. Um, Wanted the next round but it was really positive some really nice goals some really nice stuff and start a good good day all round
0: uh say good day all round again Alan
1: good day all round <laughs> uh, a fun thing to say that's just nice wee sum up.
0: Point. I like it yeah it's good uh Callum it was good to see um obviously continued Kobayashi from from the game against the Mirren but good to see him start good to see Awata come on um kind of thoughts on those two performers
2: uh, yeah, I don't think... Actually, to be fair, Morton came and had a bit of a go in the first, you know, sort of 10, 15 minutes and they did try to test his defensively a little bit, but after the game sort of settled in, after F.A. Ambrose decided to do F.A. Ambrose things, then it was quite quite comfortable at the back for for Kobayashi. I thought we were good. Iwata looked good. It's really hard to judge a, judge a player when he's coming on, you know, you're 4-0 up or whatever by that stage. And, um you know, it's lower league opposition. You know, he looked very strong and, and physical. Um, but again, it's you know, it's quite difficult to gauge how you know. my Maeda bumped their right back off the ball in the first half as if he was a wee guy. Um, so there is a there is a you know at that level there is a real physical difference um, when you when you drop down a league. Uh, but no, he looked comfortable. He looked assured. He looked technically good. Um, it was just great to see him. Out in the park and give you, gives you a sort of little inclination that we are going to see more of them and he will get will get used. I thought overall the game was fairly positive. I don't think we were at um our sparkling best. Um, you know, the first 20 minutes you did have that sort of horrible feeling that this is going to be another sort of early round cup tie slog where you win one or two nil um and there's not much to it. But you know, once we got a couple of goals, um, kicked on a little bit. Um, I thought Haksibanovich was, was very good when he came on the second half as well, And direct and try to make things happen, because it's quite easy when you go in 4-0 at halftime against the lower league opposition to sort of just let the standards drop a little bit and the tempo drop. Uh, and I think, you said, you know, especially when you've taken off your captain and kind of signaled that the game for you is done. Um, but I thought Haksibanovich was good in terms of being really direct and trying to inject some energy and pace into uh, into the game, so well, overall, uh, good day's work good to see, you know, uh, Kobe getting get another game under his belt and he make his debut, um, and I'm quite happy to take that and move on
0: uh, We've got a full reaction which is available on the website, your RSS feed and on the app as well, it was Paul Carlin uh, Claire Wilde and Stuart Duggan um, they go into detail, so check that out. Alan, were you going to come in there for a second?
1: Yeah, just, just on Awata, I think the, he obviously got the memo that everybody from a centre midfielder likes to see a 30-plus yard pass on the debut. And I think he made two, um, which were really, really well executed. So he he seemed to get himself in the way a little bit um, at times, maybe just holding that position in the central midfield just a wee bit too much. But that's, that'll come with time, whereas the I think the technique was, was good, so... That was um, that was the high point. That's how you that's how you win fans over quickly. Thirty plus yard passes that actually don't get launched into the stand. You know, a la Shane Duffy, um, in the season <laughs> that we don't talk about.
0: Uh, I, I, just the point about the penalty taking, I think, was absolutely spot on. As soon as Adam Moy stepped up, like any Celtic player stepping up for a penalty, I was absolutely terrified. But he put it away really, really well, and. He, I, is he going to take the penalties if he's on the pitch? Because it was done with such a aplomb that, you know, potentially, hopefully... that. Um...
1: Well, he did, so I think that probably answers that question. Pretty straightforward. Sorry, I, I genuinely did not mean that sound so harsh, I uh, realise, but he is definitely the penalty taker.
2: <laughs> he's just stand to do live on air, that is well out of order. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just... He has taken the last few penalties, so
1: he definitely is the penalty taker. I've just got to stop saying it now. Aye. Say it's it
0: was a good day all round. Say it was a good day all round, aye. Why don't you do that?
1: <laughs> the penalty itself. The, uh, aye, you're trying, trying to talk it back
0: and all that. Just leave it. Ah, it's done, course, right? Fucking you've, penalties. Fucking.
1: You've done the one thing you know I can't handle, which is silence, which tells <laughs> me. Um,
3: that's, that's true. The right? penalty it's
1: I've seen it back, you know, it's, we're always going to get a soft decision at some point, and I think that very much fits into that. The time, I mean, I don't know, people maybe that were watching at home would have known exactly how but it just felt like it must have taken, what, five minutes to make the decision. Is it clear and obvious if it's taking you five minutes? Nah, um, exactly. It's just, VR is, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm happy we got a penalty, because we did really start quite badly in this game, and um, Morton had the best kind of chance early on, but... It's just VR. Like, can we see in a stadium? I know I say this every week, but can we see what's happening in the stadium so that you've got some sort of semblance or idea of what's happening as opposed to trying to rely on your Wi-Fi at Celtic Park or 4G to actually allow you to see a replay? It's, um, it's very, very, very frustrating in the stadium, but slightly less frustrating when the outcome goes in your favour, which is a, a novel
0: experience. Uh, seeing regard, obviously uh, everyone's seen the... Uh, uh, most people have seen the penalty and yeah, I'm sure you can watch it on the highlights or whatever, but there's no point us saying whether it was a penalty or whether it wasn't a penalty because it ultimately doesn't matter because the inconsistency is the thing that frustrates the most. Um, Callum, in your bones, do you think they're going to do something about this at the end of the season or will they just just go on and not do anything essentially? what should, what What does your instinct tell you?
2: Uh, I've got a horrible feeling that we're going to plod along with the same muddled inconsistencies being applied to games depending on, you know, I don't know, whatever the weather is that day. It doesn't make any sense to me. To me, that FA Ambrose one is never a penalty. Yeah. Um, no. But, you know, I think the one in the second half was arguably more of a penalty. I know it comes off his hand first, but he does block across by falling down and it hits his hand. To me, that was, you know sort of in the spirit of the law, that's much more of a penalty because you've diverted across from going out of the box rather than something grazing your arm from behind. But you know, after after the Matt O'Reilly one and the Bernard by one, it was two sort of really egregious examples of penalties being given for, you know, the softest possible handball brushing your arm in the box, you know, you either need to then give them all like that. Yeah. Or, you know, or or sit down and decide, you know, this is going to become a bit of a farce if we continue like this. And we've made some mistakes so far and then communicate to the clubs and the fans. It's that, it's that lack of communication. You don't know if that discussion has been had behind closed doors. Of Because we've seen penalties or non-penalties since, which you actually think, you know what, you know what, fair enough. I can kind of understand if they don't think that's a, a clear and obvious handball. Um, but then is that going to be consistently applied, you know? What concerns me, or what I'm, I'm unsure about, is you know whether there has been a change of tact from referees to stop it getting to this sort of farcical state where any time it you know grazes your hand or your arm in the box, it's a penalty. Has that discussion been been had and, and decided upon? Because the the level of inconsistency in the gold goldson one at Ibrox, but you know even you know Rangers a couple of weeks before that playing up at Aberdeen, there was a couple of ones where yeah. By the letter letter of the law and the level of consistency shown for Bernabeu and Matt Riley, they're both penalties, even if they probably technically shouldn't be. Um, So it's the lack of communication towards the clubs and fans, you know, in regards to that but also just like Alan says in, in the stadium in general um, so much of it feels shrouded sort of in secrecy uh, that sort of breeds mistrust um, and conspiracy theories and so on um, despite some of that being you know, completely and entirely justifiable uh, I think they could probably help themselves a lot more in terms of being open and honest in terms of how they're you know, communicating towards clubs and fans.
0: Yeah exactly and you know what we're There'll be plenty of opportunities to talk about this consistently through the rest of the season, so I don't want to dwell on it today. But I do think that the fan experience in the stadium is appallingly bad. <laughs> and I, it, they just really need to do something to improve that because you're standing around waiting for you know seven, eight minutes and you've essentially no idea what's going on. So they need to do something what, about that. What
1: convinced me that it was a penalty, was that, uh, not a penalty, sorry, was that someone a referee text Kenny McIntyre to tell him (laughs) it wasn't a penalty because if you feel so strongly about something that you're willing to proactively engage in a conversation with Kenny McIntyre then you know what it probably probably is a bad decision so nothing else but that made me decide because you're willing to open lines of communication with him god help you
0: God help you indeed. Uh, This is The Cynic. uh, What's coming up for you this week? What's the agenda? Monday, we've got the agenda. Tuesday, we've got the review um, with Christian and Graham. We've got plenty of questions for that, so thanks for submitting them. If you haven't, you can submit them uh, via the WhatsApp and via the email. There's an email in your inbox, so check it out. Wednesday week, the Celtic Women's Football Show. Claire and Lorenzo will discuss everything in the Celtic Women's uh, football world. Um, Thursday, we've got the Cynic Weekly, and I'm with myself, uh, Alan and Chris Chris Armani, Jesus, Um, on Thursday, so check that out as well. Friday, we've got the Weekend Update. Myself and Barry Gallagher will be going over everything for the week, so check that out as well. Saturday, we've got House of Tims, which is recording in person tomorrow which should be a lot of fun claire has been working on it and the panel for that is annabelle colin paul and barry so that should be great fun sunday we've got the reaction to the dundee united game um which is on sunday looking forward to that alan pleasure as always sir
1: thank you good day all round take (laughs) care and i'm really really sorry
0: that's all right uh good, good gimmick you should use the good day all round um It's been a pleasure, Callum, as always. Uh, We'll speak to you very soon, sir. Thank you very much for having me, mate. Great stuff. Uh, From Alan Edgar, from Callum Gordon, from myself, Chris Gallagher, this has been the agenda, and we'll speak to you down the road.